Alexandra Quenk and the Thorn Circle by Inverarity Read by Sam Gabriel Chapter 16 The Hidden Thorn The next morning was a Friday, and being part of the holiday weekend, there were again no classes. Alexandra and Anna were not the only ones to sleep late after having gorged themselves at the feast the night before. Neither of them were very hungry, but they dressed anyway and walked together to the cafeteria, thinking to have a light breakfast, perhaps some orange juice and toast. There was no sign of David, and they had heard Angelique still snoring in her room. Honey was offering some choice comments about the noise, but Angelique wasn't waking up. Alexandra hoped that Jarvie had been kept awake all night, and even went so far as to ask Anna whether her great-horned owl might eat honey for them when it was full-grown. Anna shushed her, but looked amused. Constance and Forbearance were standing in the hallway, reading the sixth-grade notice board, apparently on their way to breakfast also. Alexandra and Anna said good morning to them, and they turned to greet the other pair of girls, but there was concern on their faces, particularly when they looked at Alexandra. "'What's wrong?' Alexandra asked, and then her eyes fell on the notice board. There were the usual messages about club activities, items in the lost and found, keeping familiars in their rooms, an announcement that the clockworks would be returning to service in the cafeteria and library, and another one informing students that Mrs. Murphy would be serving stomachache-curing crackers in the infirmary starting at 9 a.m. But below that was a list of appointments, wherein teachers and faculty would post the names of students they wanted to see for one reason or another. There was only one entry that day. Alexandra Quick, Dean's Office, 10 a.m. Alexandra had a sinking feeling, made worse by all the food she'd eaten last night. "'You look like you could use one of those stomachache-curing crackers,' said Anna worriedly. "'I didn't do anything,' Alexandra muttered. "'I didn't.' "'I assume the worst,' said Constance. "'If you didn't do nothing, you ain't in trouble,' said Forbearance. "'Let's see, how many times has Miss Grimm called me into her office when I wasn't in trouble?' Alexandra asked. The other three girls looked at each other and held their tongues, but as they continued on to the cafeteria, Anna said hopefully, she did take you out for ice cream once. Anna's forced optimism was so absurd Alexandra couldn't help but laugh. Her cheerfulness didn't last through breakfast, though, despite her friend's efforts. Where's David? Alexandra asked, as they stood in the serving line, which was once more manned by clockwork golems. You should be happy they put the clockworks back to work. I wonder what the kitchen elves are doing now, Anna said. Alexandra was eyeing the animated golems suspiciously but they showed no signs of recognizing her, nor did they behave any differently when she passed in front of them. Dunno, Alexandra said, but I trust elves more than I trust clockworks. After they finished eating, it was almost 9.30. I'm going to go now, Alexandra said. I might as well be early for my execution. Dingrim turns students into animals, said Anna very seriously. She doesn't kill them. I was kidding, sort of, Alexandra said, but then noticed Anna's eyes twinkling. Jerk, she added, and gave the smaller girl an affectionate shove. I'm sure you'll be all right, Anna said, but now she really did look worried. Alexandra wasn't so sure, either that she would be all right or that Miss Grimm didn't kill students, or at least wasn't trying to kill her in particular. The dean seemed to be brushing all her near-fatal mishaps under the rug. However, she had to admit that Anna and David were right about one thing— if Miss Grimm really wanted to kill her, it seemed unlikely she'd rely on her cat or clockworks to do it. To her surprise, Miss Marsley told her to go ahead into the dean's office when she arrived, so Alexandra opened the door and only paused for an instant when she saw Larry inside. Then she entered and walked over to stand next to him, both of them avoiding looking at one another. "'Well, how nice that you're both here early,' said Miss Grimm from behind her desk. 
She was back to wearing a crisp suit that would have let her pass as a lawyer or businesswoman in the muggle world. What did I do now? asked Alexandra. Grim closed her eyes as if summoning patience. Larry rolled his eyes and seemed to be suppressing a smirk. As quick, what have I told you about that guilty conscience of yours, not to mention speaking out of turn? Alexandra flushed and clenched her teeth together. It makes me wonder whether I am ending your punishment too soon, she went on, producing her wand. Alexandra blinked. It was the day after Thanksgiving. It had been so long ago that the seemingly endless period of after-school detention and chores had been pronounced upon her and Larry, she had forgotten that it was supposed to end at Thanksgiving. Grim rose from her desk and walked around it to stand behind Larry and Alexandra. Both of them stood still, licking their lips nervously. Finite, Grim said, waving her wand over them, and then she went back to her desk and sat down again. I have removed the proximal transfiguration jinx, she said. I still strongly advise you to stay away from one another. Yes, Miss Grim, they both said without hesitation. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Stay out of trouble. She fixed her gaze on Alexandra. Especially you, Miss Quick. Yes, Miss Grimm, she said sullenly, while Larry tried not to smirk again. Miss Grimm, he said hesitantly. She raised an eyebrow. Um, what about... He pointed at his face, which over the past couple of months had become quite unattractive and rat-like. Grimm smiled unpleasantly. Ah, yes, what large teeth you have, Mr. Oppo. And ears and nose, thought Alexandra, but now she was the one trying not to smirk. The effects will wear off gradually, now that I've lifted the curse. While they persist, let your mirror offer a daily meditation on the importance of self-control and letting go of grudges. Larry did not look happy at all, but muttered, Yes, Miss Grimm. That will be all. With that curt dismissal, Larry and Alexandra both started towards the door, paused out of habit, and then moved forward again. Alexandra preceded him out of the office, and both of them hesitated again as they stepped into the corridor outside, an arm's length from one another. Nothing happened. For the first time in months, they didn't turn into rats. A visible look of relief passed between them, and then with a scowl, they both turned away and walked out of the administrative wing. "'You'll be back in her office before Christmas,' Larry predicted, as she went her way and he went his. "'Go gnaw something,' she replied. Alexandra and her friends celebrated that afternoon. "'I told you not to worry,' Anna said. You told me Dean Grimm was going to turn me into an animal. I did not. They were outside again, trying to conjure snow. This had been Alexandra's idea, despite the fact that even simple snow-making charms were well beyond what they learned in the sixth grade. Constance and Forbearance had actually managed to produce a few flakes. David sighed as a stream of wet slush spilled out the end of his wand. So don't we're turning into a rat, he said. Nope, but Larry's still going to look like one for a while, Alexandra said gleefully. She was waving her wand and conjuring for all she was worth, but nothing was happening. The temptation to lapse into rhyming was strong, but seeing that Anna and the Pritchards were doing better than her in charms was a powerful disincentive. "'And no more detention,' said Anna. "'You won't have to spend every evening in the library anymore.' "'That means you can come to an Aspew Club meeting,' said David. Alexandra stopped suddenly and looked like she'd been punched. Her wand hand had dropped to her side. David frowned at her, disappointed. "'Fine, forget it then.' No, that's not it, Alexandra said. They all looked at her curiously, but she couldn't explain about the books Brandon Poe had waiting for her in the library. How was she going to get into Mrs. Minder's office now? I was kind of starting to enjoy the library, she said awkwardly. Well, go start another fright with Larry Elbow, David snorted. I'm sure Miss Grimm will put you back there for the rest of sixth grade. Alexandra shook her head. 
No, she said. I don't think so. She told Anna about the books requested through the interlibrary loan that night. Rather than scolding her, Anna just sighed. So what are you going to do? I'll have to talk to Brandon Post somehow, Alexandra said. I think I have an idea. Anna grimaced. Not one that'll break the rules, Alexandra clarified. Anna looked doubtful. Will you stop trying to get hold of books you're not supposed to have after this? Alexandra nodded. I really am trying to stay out of trouble now, Anna. Her friend smiled. I've heard that before. I'm serious. And Alexandra looked serious, so Anna nodded. The next day, Alexandra visited Mrs. Minder in the library. Miss Quick, it won't be the same without you haunting the stacks every evening, Mrs. Minder said cheerfully. Ben and Poe said you were a very diligent worker. That's what I came to talk to you about, Mrs. Minder, said Alexandra. I didn't really get to say goodbye to them. I know they're not supposed to come out during regular library hours, but would it be okay for me to talk to them? Minder watched disapprovingly as a clockwork marched past with an armload of books. Of course, dear, it's nice of you to appreciate all the work the library elves do. I only wish the dean of the Department of Magical Education did. She led Alexandra into the back room, where Bran and Poe were carefully removing ink and pencil marks from recently returned books. They jumped up excitedly when Alexandra entered. "'Miss Alex!' Bran exclaimed. "'Bran and Poe thought Miss Alex isn't coming to the library no more,' said Poe mournfully. "'Of course I'm coming to the library,' Alexandra said. "'But I won't be doing detention with you anymore. I wish I could still visit you, though.' And that was true. She was going to miss talking to the elves, which made her feel a little guilty that the real reason for her visit was to try to get the books they had hidden for her. Mrs. Minder was standing over them, smiling blissfully, so Alexandra couldn't ask about the books. "'You'll probably have other kids in here,' she said. "'You can't be the only naughty student in school.' "'Yes, Brandon Poe sees many children when they is during detention, but usually they is not wanting to come back to visit us,' said Bran. To Alexandra's relief, someone rang the bell at the front desk just then, so Mrs. Minder said, "'Oh, I'd better see who that is. The clockworks are useless at helping students. Useless, I tell you.' And she turned and left Alexandra alone in the room with Bran and Poe. "'It is good to see you again,' Alexandra said. "'And I'll visit you every time I'm here if Mrs. Minder lets me.' The elves' ears perked up at this, and they both looked so grateful that Alexandra felt even more guilty at her next request. "'Um, I was hoping, though—' "'Miss Alex wants her special boxes,' whispered Bran, with a knowing look at Poe. Alexandra nodded. "'Please?' "'It has to be checked out properly.' "'It has to be checked out properly,' Bran said. "'Which means they need the librarian's stamp, and Miss Alex has to sign for them,' said Poe. "'But Mrs. Minder won't let me do that.' They nodded. "'Miss Alex needs to come back tonight after Mrs. Minder leaves.' They looked at each other, and suddenly each picked up a large, heavy volume and began thumping each other over the heads with them. "'Stop that!' Alexandra gasped, looking over her shoulder and trying to grab the books before Mrs. Minder or someone else heard the racket. Why are you doing that? Bran and Poe is plotting naughty things again, Bran said. Stamping a book the librarian didn't tell us to stamp, said Poe. Letting students into the library after it is closed, said Bran. Alexandra had to lunge for them again to keep them from resuming their mutual book beating. Okay, send them back, Alexandra said. The elves stared at her. I can't do it, she said heavily. If you two are going to beat yourselves over the head because of them, I can't check out those books. I don't want you punished because of me. I don't want anyone punished because of me. They blinked, and their eyes filled with tears again. Miss Alex is worried about elves, Bran gasped. Miss Alex would give up finding out about her father for Bran and Poe's sake, Poe gulped. 
She nodded slowly. I'll find some other way. She hated to give up, even temporarily, when the books were almost within her grasp, but she could just imagine what David would say, and Miss Grimm's words rang in her ears. Alexandra Quick bears no consequences for her actions. She lets her friends do that. The elves looked at each other. If Miss Alex just read the books as in the library, said Poe slowly, then Bran and Poe wouldn't need to check them out to her, said Bran enthusiastically. Alexandra's mouth dropped open. You could do that, she whispered. Just bring me the books and let me read them here? The elves nodded vigorously. And you won't get in trouble for that? I mean, she paused. You won't be doing anything you need to be punished for? They thought a moment and shook their heads. Bran and Poe shouldn't have sent the interlibrary request owl, Bran said. But the book says it's here now. If Miss Alex reads them, but doesn't takes them out of the library, we can send them back when she's done reading them, said Poe. But Miss Alex must please be very careful not to damage them, pleaded Bran. Of course I will, Alexandra said. You know I'm careful with books. This was how Alexandra spent the rest of the weekend. From after breakfast until dinner time, she left the library only to go to lunch. David was curious about what had her so preoccupied. Are you still reading about the Dark Convention? he demanded. Or trying to figure out why Miss Grimm is trying to kill you? Not exactly, she said, exchanging a look with Anna. But I'll tell you about it later. If it's another one of your theories, maybe it's better if you don't, he snorted. Of the three books that had come from the New Amsterdam Public Wizards Library and the Blacksburg Majory Institute, two were written in a very dense, journalistic style that made Alexandra's eyes blurry. Dark or Demented, The Case Against Abraham Thorne, was a biography of the eponymous ringleader of the Thorn Circle, detailing his early career as a martial wizard in the Regimental Officer Corps, then his rise as one of the most influential members of the Wizards' Congress and a likely future Governor-General, and finally as an opposition figure rumored to have allied himself and his followers with the Dark Convention. The Thorn Circle, Warlocks in Hiding, concentrated mostly on the latter events in Thorn's career, particularly the followers who sided with him against the Confederation. As far as Alexandra could tell, there was never an actual war or even a secession, as there had been in Britain. Thorne began publicly denouncing the Confederation, and Governor-General Huxtein in particular, and lent aid to accused members of the Dark Convention, but what convinced most American wizards of his dark affiliation was when he traveled to Britain, allegedly to meet with Lord Voldemort. Warrants were issued for Abraham Thorne and all of his followers, and all of their property was seized, but they eluded arrest. A few months later, they attempted to assassinate the Governor-General, and failed, and went into hiding for good after that. The events described were dramatic enough to make a fine movie, but Alexandra could barely stay awake through reading them. It was all names and dates and quoted speeches and details about the inner workings of the Wizards Congress, and historical background and tangential arguments. The third book was practically hyperbolic in its prose. The Darkness That Threatens Us All by Jerwig Findlewell. Findlewell seemed to believe that everything from the Automagica and Aspew, to the Muggle Marriage Act, to the New World Druidic Order, to a witch from Alaska having been considered for the Governor General's office in 1980, was all part of a vast, dark conspiracy aimed at tearing apart the traditional values of wizarding society. Much of it made no sense to Alexandra, since she was still quite unfamiliar with the politics and history of the wizarding world, and Findlewell was writing for adult wizards who cared about such things. However, he gave a concise history of the Thorn Circle that was more informative, 
to the degree that it was true, and Alexandra was perceptive enough to realize that Findlewell seemed to be the sort of man who might present things that reflected his personal opinions more closely than they reflected the truth, that entire chapter she trudged through in the other two books. If half the stories about what Thorne had done to his enemies were true, he was certainly a ruthless wizard. Jerwig Findlewell considered the case for Thorne being a dark wizard open and shut. The other two books were less one-sided, but the evidence that he and his inner circle collaborated with the Dark Invention became very strong after their failed assassination attempt. In the aftermath of that event, which happened a year before Alexandra was born, only the most peripheral followers of Abraham Thorne were ever caught. The Thorne Circle itself disappeared, and despite many years of hunting by the Confederation's Special Inquisition's office, none of them had yet been captured. They may as well have vanished into thin air. Rumors of their current activities fueled conspiracy theories that kept men like Jerblick Findlewell up at night. Findlewell was certain that the Dark Convention, led by Abraham Thorne, was preparing for an all-out war against the Wizarding World. This was, after several hundred pages, much less interesting to Alexander than it might have seemed at first. Tales of dark wizards and a conspiracy to kill the Governor-General were dramatic, but delivered as either lengthy academic histories or long-winded polemics, the details became indistinct and unimportant to her. Miss Grinder's description, power-hungry men who want control, seemed apt. It occurred to her immediately that her father might have been one of the Thorn Circle, and it was this possibility that kept her reading, even when she found herself nodding off over the books on Sunday evening. Ironically, her determination to read them straight through was what kept her from discovering the most interesting thing of all right away. There were photographs in the appendix of Thorne's biography. Most were of people in places whose names were referenced in the dense history, but who meant little to her. Governor General Huckstein, the target of the Thorne Circle's assassination attempt, was old and fat with a massive white beard and a severe expression. Alexandra thought he looked like an unkindly Santa Claus. There were pictures of the wizard's prisons where suspected dark collaborators were sent, and there were pictures from Britain of the major players in that country's civil war. But Alexandra was almost half asleep when she turned the page and found the picture she should have looked for to begin with. It was surprising, really, that it hadn't been easier to find, perhaps even prominently displayed on one of the book covers. Abraham Thorne was, after all, a famous and powerful figure in the wizarding world. But Alexandra knew now that wizards didn't like to talk about or even name anyone suspected of being in the Dark Convention, and that was probably why it took so long for her to stumble across a picture of him. It was curiously anticlimactic, because once she did, she realized it wasn't a surprise at all. As if she'd known it all along, she nodded when she found herself staring at the familiar face. Without a doubt, Abraham Everard Thorne was the man in her locket. End of chapter 16 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit samgabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benighoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.